Yes, uh, thank you for coming today. If you are visiting with us, what an honor that you have chosen to worship here at Harrison Church. I'm Shane, and uh, I have the privilege of preaching to you this morning. And uh, if you're visiting with us, you've come at a great time. I'm in the middle of a series that we're doing during Easter. We usually think of Easter as one day. Easter is about six weeks or more, 50 days. And uh, we've been doing this series in which the only thing we're doing is looking at some of these wonderful texts in which Jesus just offers life to someone. And it's just simple good news, and it's the good news of Easter. And then last week, I I, I preached from John chapter 3, that wonderful story between Jesus and Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And now this morning, I'll be going to the very next chapter, chapter 4. And just like last week, the Nicodemus story was so rich, and it was so layered with meaning. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read this to you. This story this morning is just as layered and stratified. I mean, we could mine all kinds of treasures all day long. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 4. And you can follow along on the screens behind me. John 4. Now Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. I want to come back to that. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And then that parenthetical. I love it. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans funny. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. That's what the Jews believe, and only in Jerusalem. But Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes... He will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am He, the one who is speaking to you. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Oh man, what a great story. Uh, I, I absolutely love how John begins this story by saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria when he didn't have to do any such thing. There were a lot of alternate routes to get around Samaria to go somewhere else, kind of like your 485 loop, so to speak. And there were a lot of Jewish people who in those days would have taken an alternate route so they would not have to go through Samaria, Samaritan country, which of course, if you know, uh, the Samaritans were the national enemies of Israel. And I love that little laconic phrase, that parenthetical John adds. It's just so funny. The Jews do not have anything in common with the Samaritans. But Jesus, if you know his story, every time he never abides by the labels of his day, the racial labels, the political labels, the social labels. No, he's always bucking the conventions of his time. So Jesus goes to Samaritan country. He has a talk with a Samaritan. That would have been shocking enough. They're the enemies. And on top of that, he has a conversation with a Samaritan woman in public. Now, the Jews in those days, especially the rabbis, it was a custom that if you were a Jewish rabbi, especially, you would never, ever talk to a woman in public. In particular, a Samaritan woman. And yet, Jesus, once again... He just never abides by the conventional norms of his day. He had to go through Samaria. He had to have a conversation with this woman. Think about that word for a minute, conversation. From that word, you can kind of get the word conversion. It's very similar, isn't it? Conversation and conversion. You know, very often in life, our greatest conversions happen when we risk having conversations with people who are not like us. Yeah. My friend James Howell, he's the preacher at Myers Park United Methodist Church. I, I served under him for a number of years. He has said this before in the past, and I quote it to you. He says that if you never engage people who are different from you, you will remain ignorant and you will remain arrogant. Jesus had to have a conversation with someone who wasn't like him. Those where conversions happen. Now, I was thinking this week, this is not my sermon, by the way, but I was thinking this week, like, what would it look like? If you, your mission statement in life, if my mission statement in life, if Harrison Church's mission statement in life was that you and I had to go to the people who were different from us. What if you made it your mission to go to the kinds of people that our society says, no, there cannot be any reconciliation. There cannot be any commonality between those two people. What if you did that? Like if you were a conservative, what if you made it your mission that I must go have conversations with progressives? Or if you're straight, you have to go talk to someone who's gay. The greatest conversions in our lives will happen when we have conversations from people who are different from us. Jesus had to go to Samaria. He has this conversation with this woman from Samaria Samaria, who comes to a well about noon to fetch some water. Now, if you've heard a number of sermons on this passage, it's a favorite of us clergy, and I know that you have. You will know that a lot of uh, great scholars have puzzled over this feature of the story that she came alone to get water because it was very customary in the ancient world that women would travel in groups 
to, uh, to fetch water at a well. And they would almost always go in the cool of the morning. So this woman comes by herself, and she comes at noon, which is one of the hottest parts of the day. And we don't want to speculate too much, but it does cause us to ask some questions that it could be the case that this woman, by coming alone at the heat of the day, she was someone who may have been snubbed by her community. She may have been someone that we would call kind of disreputable. We don't want to be around very much. And so so Jesus asks this woman, she's by herself, and he says, woman, give me something to drink. And then she's shocked. Oh my gosh, you're a Jewish man. You're talking to a Samaritan woman in public. And, and, then, and then Jesus says, well, if you knew who it was who was asking of you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him. And then he would have given you living waters. And of course, the woman at this moment, she's thinking kind of superficially. She's thinking on the service and, and she says, well, give me some of that water. Uh, I would love never to be thirsty again and having to come to this well day after day after day after day. And, and then, then there's that beautiful line. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But those who drink of the waters that I give them, it will become in them a spring. I love that expression, gushing up to eternal life. Beautiful. Now, the great sages of uh, the Christian tradition, I always like to share this with you. The great sages, they read Scripture differently than you do. And I do, for the most part. They always tried to go underneath just the surface of the text, and they tried to go a little bit deeper. They tried to mine some treasures. And some of the great sages of our tradition, what they say is that this woman, she was experiencing a thirst for more than just physical water. She was actually thirsting within her soul. There was something that she was thirsting for in her soul. She kept coming to this well day after day after day because she was thirsty. But she wasn't thirsty for just water, but something like within her and inside of her. Kind of the way you and I, we can sometimes get caught up in a loop of desire. Kind of this loop of desire, we, we want to, we thirst for something, and it's kind of inside of us. It's not just for an object, and yet what happens is that we find it, and it satisfies us for just a moment, but then the loop starts again. And we go back and back, back, and try to quench our thirsts over and over again. Now, now since the sages bring it up, I guess this is a good time for me to ask. Let's, let's play this with them. I want to ask you right now, what, what is the well in your life. What is the thing you keep going back to day after day after day, hoping that you will quench something, some kind of thirst or hunger in your soul? What, what is your well? You know, perhaps some of you, it may be a drink. Your well might be a cabinet day after day. Or, or maybe it's a website online. Or maybe it's social media. You go to Facebook or some social media every day and, and you post something every single day so you hope people will acknowledge you because you need some affirmation. You need somehow to just justify that you're here, that you're here. I mean, all of us at some point in our lives, or even now, we have these wells in our lives that we keep going back to day after day because we want to quench some thirst within us because we crave something. 
within us, these desires of ours. Now, desires are good. I've talked about this. Desires aren't bad. Desires are actually gifts from God. The ancient Christian theologians would say, hey, pay attention to your desires. Your physical desires can actually, if you pay attention to them, they can teach you something. They can actually point you to God if you let them. There's actually an argument about the existence of God based on our physical desires. It's called the argument from desire. Creative name for this. Uh, Now, I'm going to botch this, this argument from desire that God exists based on it. But here's how it goes in, in a nutshell. I won't do it any justice. I may not convince you. It goes something like this. If you think about all of your physical desires, all of our desires within ourselves, order us to an object or an end that correlates to the desire we're experiencing. For instance, you feel hunger in your stomach, and there is such a thing as food. Or you thirst for something, and lo and behold, there is such a thing as water. Or you, you desire intimacy, and there is such a thing as a relationship with someone else. There is such a thing as sexuality. You desire fairness in the world, justice in the world, and you are ordered. There is such a thing as the courts and the laws. The problem, though, is is that all of the things that order us to these physical things never truly satisfy us. We seem to want more behind the thing itself. So it's not as if, you know, we don't desire just love with a lowercase l. What we really desire is love itself, capital L. Not making sense. It's not as if we desire beautiful things. What what we actually desire is the beautiful with a capital B. We seem to desire beyond just the physical craving. And what the ancients would say is if you pay attention to that, what you're actually desiring is what's behind those objects. And that's God. You are truly hungering your soul through your body is crying out to consume God. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful line. C.S. Lewis is a great Christian writer. He says something like this. He says, if I find in myself a desire for something that nothing in this world can satisfy, it must mean I was created for another world. I love that. You see, we, what we crave, our desires, what we ultimately crave is beyond this physical world. We crave God. And Jesus was coming to, to fill this urge that we all have for God because that is what we truly crave, the living waters. Now, this woman, like the rest of us, she was caught up in this loop of desires. And she was trying to, to quench her thirst. She was trying to seek rest for her soul in the wrong things. Jesus says to her, go call your husband here. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, yep, you've actually had five husbands. And now the sixth man you're with is not your husband at all. Ooh. Uh, my good friend, I'm, I'm getting to know him. Some of you may know Talbot Davis. He is the uh, pastor at Good Shepherd Church, United Methodist Church. We serve on a committee together now in the conference, and we've become uh, kind of close. And uh, he's got this thing where he says this from the pulpit, so I'm stealing him. I've stole from James Howell, and I'm going to steal from Talbot. But he's got this thing where, where he talks about bad romance. 
He comes to his people, he says, are you in a bad romance? And, and what he means by that is that sometimes we can get called up into bad romances. Right? We seek affirmation, we seek some kind of completion in our lives, and we go from one relationship to the next, from one to the next, hoping that the next one will be the last one, and we can just get called up in this bad romance. And I was thinking, you know, this, this woman at the well, could it be that she was kind of called up in a bad romance? And she, and she was trying to get some affirmation. And this conversation that Jesus is having with her is he's saying to her, you matter now. You, you don't need a man. You don't need anybody else. You, you matter as you are. I love the Catholic uh, bishop. Some of you may remember him. He came on TV, gosh, back in the 60s, I think it was. His name is uh, Fulton Sheen. Bishop Fulton Sheen, he was a Catholic preacher. <laughs> I love what he says uh, in this moment. Uh, he says, what do you do when someone, like Jesus is doing here, what do you do when someone exposes your brokenness and tells you the truth about who you are and what's really going on in your life? What do you do in that moment? He says, you change the subject. <laughs> I mean, you notice in this story, Jesus says, that's right, the man you're living with is not your husband. You've had five husbands. And the very next thing she does is she says, uh, let's talk about worship. Um, Let's talk about where, where are we supposed to worship God, in Jerusalem or some other place? She, she changed the subject. Isn't it true that whenever someone exposes us or when we find out something truthful about ourselves, we want to change the subject? This happens to me all the time. I never do this intentionally, but somebody will come out of the worship service and say, oh, you really stepped on my toes today, preacher. You know, and I never say, I'm going to get him to Sunday. Woo! You know? But those moments, and I've had those moments before where you hear something and it's as if you've been singled out and, and the preacher's talking to you and what you want to do in that moment is change the subject. Change the subject. But what I want to commend to you is that if that ever happens to you again where you feel as if you are being exposed or singled out, what I would suggest to you is that you don't change the subject. Because in that moment, when you see your brokenness, when you see yourself as you are, you are standing in that moment in the presence of God. Jesus said that He was the light of the world. Think about this. One of the things that light does is it exposes. It exposes. Jesus will expose everything about you, but it's because you are in the presence of God in that moment. And the thing of, the, thing of it is, is that it's the light of Jesus that exposes us. That is the light of mercy. That is the light of grace. It's Jesus' light that exposes us. You will notice in this passage that when Jesus exposed what was really going on in her life, this loop of desire, the bad romance, she was thirsting for something else. Notice that he did not humiliate her. Hello young, hello, young man. Is that Duke? We're glad you're here, Duke. You can help me preach this sermon. There you go. See, that's a great sight to see, brothers and sisters. That is. A lot of churches will love to see that. Um, now, where was I? Okay. You will notice that Jesus did not humiliate her. He did not shame her. He didn't wag his finger at her. You know, and I've talked to 
women especially, who have come to me and who have talked about how they've been humiliated before or shamed before, even in the church, because of their broken marriage or divorce. Or they're afraid to leave this abusive relationship for fear of what people might say, for fear of what God might say. And yet what Jesus did to this woman is that He loved her. And then He called her. And this broken woman becomes the first evangelist in all the Gospels. She leaves and she says, come see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. This is remarkable. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. You remember the story? He was not willing to go public in his faith in Christ. But this woman, this woman in the noonday sun, she leaves and she goes public. And she becomes this evangelist announcing the good news of Jesus. Why? What is the difference between Nicodemus wanting to be in the dark and this woman who went public in her profession of faith in Christ? And I think it's because when you have experienced grace like this, you can't shut up about it. You cannot help telling others about Jesus Christ when you have experienced powerful grace like this. The greatest evangelist that will ever live in history are the broken people who know the grace of God who know the forgiveness and the mercy of God. That's why she went public with her faith. That and no other reason. Come, see a man, she says. Come see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. Does that sound like good news to you? Because I'm going to tell you, if somebody said, come see Shane, I know everything he's ever done, I would blush in embarrassment. Come see a man who, is, who knows everything I have ever done. Jesus Christ knows everything you and I have ever done. We are exposed in that light. And yet still, Jesus wants to come close. Still, Jesus wants to come close close. Nicodemus in chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus full of himself, full of his arrogance, full of his certitudes as we talked about, and he left the presence of Jesus empty. This woman encountered Jesus and she was empty of herself. And that is why she was filled with living waters. The truth is that when we come to Jesus empty, when you stand before the presence of Christ and you know your brokenness, it is then that He will fill us with living waters. God can only pour water into empty vessels. Not those that are already full. And I want you to notice something. Notice that she left her water jar when Jesus called her. The thing she thought she had to have every day. It didn't matter. She had the name of Jesus on her lips. Not the drink. And that was enough. My brothers and sisters, you can leave your water jar. You don't have to have the thing you think you have to have 
Come to Him empty and He will fill you with living waters. All right, last thing. Time's getting short. Get ready, band. It's this. We often think that the the thirsty character in this story is the woman, and that would be true, but there's one other thirsty character in this story. Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one thirsty. Now, the difference is this. This woman who experienced such grace, she left filled. Her, Her thirst had been quenched, but the one whose thirst is still not quenched is Jesus. His thirst remains. You know, in the Gospel of John, one of the last words that Jesus will say on the cross is, I thirst. The Jesus in John's Gospel is always thirsty. And the great saints say this, that what Jesus is thirsty for is you. He's thirsty for you. We have inside of us a thirst for God, but it is Jesus who thirsts for us. Mother Teresa, I live by this. I think of it all the time. She says, you have to know. She's just pleading. You have to understand that Jesus Christ thirsts for you. He wants to come close to you. He misses you when you do not come close to Him until you realize, she says, how much Jesus Christ thirsts for you. You will never know who He wants to be for you and who He wants you to be for Him. Jesus Christ will always thirst until He has every last drop of you. You can come close. Come see a man, she said, who told me everything I ever did. Jesus Christ knows everything you ever did. And still He calls you. He thirsts for you. If you come to Him empty, you will be filled. Leave your water jar. You don't need it. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we are the broken people in this story. We have come to our own wells. We have searched for something in our own lives to satisfy us, but we always come up short. It will never happen. We long for You. I pray for Your people this morning that they would not be afraid to come into Your light. That You will expose us so that we will see ourselves as we truly are, the broken people, and yet in that moment You want to fill us. Your grace is all that we need. And give us the courage, like Your Son, to be converted and to convert others through our conversations. Lord, we are thirsty for Your righteousness. And because we are thirsty, you have promised to quench us. But help us, I pray, quench your thirst. That we would give to you all that we are. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us stand and sing together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The audiovisual production team is looking for assistance. We need anybody who is willing to learn basic operation of lighting, sound, camera, and computer. If you're interested in getting involved, please email audiovisual at harrisonchurch.org. We have positions for folks of any skill level, and we hope to hear from you. As always, you can find the latest Harrison happenings online at harrisonchurch.org or on our Facebook page. 
Have a great week.